1 Corinthians. It's in your New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. One verse this morning. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I began this sermon series with a sermon out of the book of Lamentations. And I I said when I preached that sermon that it was a sermon on grace. And the reason why I wanted to begin with grace is because I knew that as we walk through these spiritual disciplines of worship and Bible reading and prayer and giving, that just the nature of those things were going to be convicting. All of us in this room have areas, those areas in our life need to be encouraged and improved, and we need to do better in them. And so before we even started, I wanted to speak a word of grace and talk about how God's grace was new every morning, that you might be encouraged that even as God was convicting in our lives and dealing with issues in our life that were not right and needed to be um, reset, that God was not doing that to condemn or to put down, but to draw us to himself. And so this morning, as I come to the final sermon in this series, I want to turn our attention again, not to a particular spiritual discipline, but rather a biblical principle that I think should govern all of our lives. What so often turns our heart away from faithful study of God's Word, uh, diligent prayer, obedient worship, and faithful giving, is not overt, intentional rebellion. I'm well aware. There may be a few of you, but the majority, the overwhelming majority of you here today did not wake up this morning and say, how can I spend every ounce of energy I have today in overt, outright rebellion to God? And by the way, that's good. Somebody say amen to that. That's encouraging. In fact, you're here today on a Sunday morning, and so I'm assuming that the overwhelming majority of you have a heart's desire to obey God and walk faithfully with Him. What turns our hearts and minds away from faithful Bible study, prayer, worship, and giving is not overt or intentional or or even intentional rebellion, but rather the gradual process of allowing other things to fill up our lives and crowd out the Lord. I think right now that the church is being entertained to death. Now, some of you will know what I mean, or you'll remember these days, but I grew up in the world where we only had bunny ears on our TV. There's some people in here don't even know what bunny ears are. We had bunny ears on our TV, had three channels, only two of them came in clear, and all of them went off at at midnight every night. When we first got cable in my home growing up, it only had 12 channels, and most of those went off at midnight every night. And right now in most of our homes, if you've got cable, you've got hundreds of channels, most of which you never watch. Some of you, many of you have Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and Sling and Prime Video and a host of others that are still coming out. We binge watch shows. You can go home today and spend the rest of the afternoon watching more TV than 
than could be imagined. We are entertained to death. And that's just what's on our televisions and our iPads and our iPhones. We filled up our schedules with sports events and hobbies and all sorts of things. We are being entertained to death. Now, I'm not here to say that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. But I am going to make the case that if they are drawing our attention away from the Lord, they have become idols that we worship. The church that is being written to in this letter, the church in Corinth, was a fellowship that dealt every day with the complications of living faithfully the gospel in obedience to Jesus in the context of a culture that celebrated all manners of wickedness and spiritual rebellion. And this passage that we have read this morning comes primarily uh, in addressing the subject of sexual immorality. But, but as Paul begins his teaching, he points to a foundational, fundamental truth that must govern how we think and how we judge what is good and acceptable in our lives. That is that the question of lawfulness is not the only question that, sh- that Christians ought to be asking. The question of whether or not something is lawful, permissible to do, is not the only question that Christians ought to be asking. Now, certainly it's important. And if something is unlawful, then no Christian should ever consider it. If there is something in Scripture that clearly prohibits an activity, then it ought not to be found in the house of God. Somebody say amen. But but the point that Paul is making is the question of lawfulness is just the the, the foundational. It's the basic question we ask. But if that's all you're asking, then you're not going to walk in spiritual faithfulness and maturity. There must be something else that we ask. For one to grow in spiritual maturity and faithfulness, you must ask, is it helpful? And does it distract from faithful obedience to the Lord? So from this verse, I... Paul says, really, he says, all things are lawful for me. He says that twice. But he says, not all things are profitable. And he says, I will not be controlled, dominated, mastered by anything. So with those two points, here's what I want to say this morning, in a positive and a negative. Number one, I want to encourage you this morning to pursue what is helpful for your walk with the Lord in the kingdom of God. And secondly, that you ought to reject anything that is harmful to your walk with the Lord. Let's begin with the positive, then we'll end with the, with the negative. So beginning with the positive, pursue what is helpful. Now, I've already stated it, and we're going to lay it out a little bit further now, that lawfulness is not the only question that we have to ask. I believe that for too many Christians, the only question that you're asking is, is this behavior, is this activity, is this thing in my life, is it lawful for me? And those who only ask this question may dutifully restrain themselves from such things that we know are not right. I mean, you might say today, listen, pastor, I have sworn off murdering people. Praise the Lord for that. And I know it's wrong to steal, and I've quit that. Well, that's encouraging. And adultery and all the other things that you know are clearly prohibited in Scripture. And you're, you're proud of yourself that those things are not in your life. However, if this is the only question that is asked, it opens the door for all kinds of disruptive and even corruptive things to take their place in your life. Now, Paul very clearly says, you don't need a seminary degree to understand this, that yes, all things are lawful, but he tags that with not all things are profitable. 
Now, the word that is translated profitable there simply means to be of an advantage to someone, to, to that make you better off, to be to someone's advantage, to push you further in the right direction. We certainly have been saved by grace, but grace is a freedom, is a gift of freedom from the condemnation of sin, not protection from the consequences of sin. If you walk with the Lord ruled only by the most basic question of lawfulness, then all manner of unhelpful things will find their way in your life. If the only question is whether or not something is permissible and lawful in your life, then you will never judge the things that you allow in your home and into your life and into your mind and into your heart, whether or not those things are profitable for you and your walk with the Lord. Under grace, your salvation is not dependent upon your church attendance. But it may, it may be lawful for you to skip church, but dear friends, you cannot be a spiritually mature Christian without faithful and consistent fellowship with other believers. Don't let your time at the beach or your weekend on a, with a sports event or your time in the mountains, don't find consolation in the fact that it might be lawful for you not to be in church. The question ought to be, is it profitable for you to be out of church? Under grace, your salvation is not dependent upon your faithfulness to read and study God's word. It may be lawful for you to neglect the Bible reading and study, but you cannot be a spiritually maturing Christian without it. Yes, dear friends, your Bible can be a great dust collector in your home. Yes, friends, you cannot touch your Bible for months on end, and you can say, listen, I'm saved by grace, and my Bible reading is not dependent upon my salvation, and we'll all agree it's lawful for you to neglect the Word of God in your life, but it is not profitable. And don't find any kind of encouragement in the lawfulness of such a great neglect. Under grace, your salvation is not dependent on an active and vibrant prayer life. It may be lawful for you to let other things occupy your heart's and mind's attention, but you cannot be a spiritually maturing Christian without prayer. Under grace, your salvation is not dependent upon tithing. It may be lawful for you to withhold your money but you cannot be a spiritually maturing Christian without having a right attitude and heart towards what God has provided for you. The question's not about lawfulness. Spiritual maturity requires you ask more than if there is a prohibition against a particular activity. Spiritual maturity requires that you ask the greater question, is this helpful? Does this encourage my walk with the Lord? Does this increase my faith? Does this give me a better testimony and a better witness? In asking these questions, I think there are two areas that give evidence of helpfulness. And, and, and here they are. Does it honor God and does it advance the kingdom? So when we think about does it honor God, we have to ask is does this behavior, we're not asking whether it is lawful, we're assuming it is. But even if it's lawful, does this behavior, does this action, does it honor, does it bring honor to the Lord? When I was in middle school, and can we just all agree before I tell you the story that middle schoolers don't make the best decisions in the world? Even middle, sc middle schoolers who grow up to be pastors, can we agree to that? When I was in middle school, I went on a church trip. 
with our church on a youth trip. And and one of the stops we made while we were out and about sold T-shirts, T-shirt stand. And I found a T-shirt in there that had a statement on it that referenced a very crass statement. But the one word that was crass was changed to a non-crass word. But everybody who read it knew what it meant. And I bought that shirt. And I put it on. And I wore it home. And when I got off that bus, and there were my parents waiting for me. They saw that shirt and were horrified. I'm not so sure what horrified them the most, that I had spent my money on it or that I had worn it all over God's creation. I get in the car. You know how you do when children do something really stupid? You don't say anything to them publicly, but when they get in the car privately, I mean, you know, you just grab a hold of them. My parents were so upset by that. And you know what I said to them? I said, it's technically, (laughs) it's technically not crass. And can you imagine, listen, I love my parents, but they didn't care anything about technicality in that moment. (laughs) They weren't even concerned with technicality. Now here's the point, dear friends. I was technically correct. The words on that t-shirt indeed did not say anything offensive, but anybody who saw it understood what it meant. And my parents, who ruled the day, by the way, I only owned that shirt for about eight hours because as soon as I got home, it went to the trash. The question was not whether it was technically correct or not. The question was, did it honor my parents and the household that they had established? And the answer to that was no. And so it went to the trash. I'd asked the wrong question. I had asked whether or not it was technically correct. I did not ask the question, did it honor my parents? Dear friends, we must pursue what honors God. Does what you give your attention to honor the Lord? Does what you give your time to honor the Lord? Does what you give your money to honor the Lord? Does what you give your life's work to honor the Lord? There are so many things that we give ourselves to that we justify because they are, they are not explicitly forgive, forbidden. Oh, this is not wrong. This is not sin. Fine, dear Christian, but does it honor the Lord? What you should be asking is, if what you are doing pleases God, does it honor God? Is he thankful that you have developed and devoted yourself to such a thing? You see, the heart of one who's been transformed by God's grace and loves God and obeys the will of God is that their heart's desire is to honor God in everything they do and in everything they give themselves to, they want to honor the Lord. Does it honor God? And secondly, pursue that which advances the kingdom. Helpfulness or profitability is also connected, I believe, to advancing the kingdom. Now, even the youngest child or the most secular adult understands this principle, at least in part, and that is that every decision is considered by how good it is for them. They don't mind splitting something as long as their half is bigger than your half. They want to know, is it advantageous to me? Is it profitable to me? And the Christian sees the world differently than a non-Christian. Christians have devoted their lives to King Jesus and his will. Thus, every decision is not only considered in how it is advantage to the individual, 
For a Christian who is surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, every decision is considered in how it advantages the kingdom of God. Does this make more of my master's kingdom? Does this grow the kingdom of God? Paul will use this same phrase again in chapter 10 in his teaching on legality of eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. It was a big discussion. Uh, Corinth was a wicked town, and food was often sacrificed to idols and then brought home and, and used in the home. And Christians, when they were invited to somebody's house, very likely if they went to somebody's home who were not a Christian, were likely eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. And it was a big question. What do you do about that? And, of course, Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter. Idols are just a piece of stone and wood. They didn't really sacrifice to anything or anybody. They just placed some food in front of a piece of stone. What is an idol but nothing? Under grace, we're free. But he also understood that that freedom could also be a stumbling block for a brother. And so he uses the same phrase in chapter 10 where he, where he talks about not, not uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. He says in verse 10, chapter 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. If one of the unbelievers invites you to, and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking a question for a conscience sake. But if someone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for conscience sake. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also, as, as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. His point there is that his heart bent is not just in what is profitable for him, but is what is profitable for the kingdom of God. You see, the heart of one who's been transformed by God's grace, loves God and obeys the will of God, is to do all they can to advance the kingdom of God. Pursue what is helpful, not just what is legal. Pursue that which honors the Lord. Pursue that which advantages and advances the kingdom. Now, that's the positive side. Now, let's flip to the negative side. So Paul says the first thing, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Then he says, all things are lawful, but I will not be master. That's the New American Standard. They, they translate that word master. The English Standard Version, I like it even better. He says, I will not be dominated by anything. I think what he's saying there is that we ought to reject all that is harmful. Now, three things that we ought to reject. Number one, we ought to reject idolatry. The second phrase that Paul uses in verse 12 is an emphatic declaration that he will not be mastered by anything or dominated by anything. The, the word that is translated there is mastered or dominated is, the, is a Greek word that means to be, to be ruled or reigned over by ex exercising authority. So Paul is saying, I will not let anything in this world exercise authority over me. Now, I would guess that most, if not all of you, would be quick, very quick, to reject any notion that you are an idol worshiper. In fact, I suspect that most of the time when that word comes up, we're in our minds we think, well, I certainly ought not to be worshiping idols, but that must apply to someone else. But dear friends, if you have allowed something to rule or reign by exercising authority over you, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then you by definition have given yourself to idol worship. You have let something of this world exercise authority in your life that only the Lord should be exercising. Now, the characteristic of idol worship is that it controls you. It controls your time. It controls your resources. It controls your attention. It it controls your heart. If you have more time for the things that entertain you, but you have no time for prayer and Bible study, dear friends, you are controlled, mastered by an idol. If out of your lips you have said, I don't have time for something of the service of the church, but you've got time to watch a movie and things that don't matter, dear friends, your life is being controlled by something other than the lordship of Jesus. If you give your best attention to work, to hobbies, or games, but you don't long together with believers in worship, dear friends, you're controlled by idols. If you know more about the news and politics than how God is moving and working in your life, in your family's life, and in the church life, dear friends, you're ruled by idols. You cannot be a servant of God and serve another master. What did Jesus say? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Listen, Paul makes it emphatic. I will not be dominated by anything. Now, here's where it presses into our lives. Because you have to rightly judge in your own lives what are those things other than the Lord Jesus that is dominating your life? What is your mind's attention, your heart's devotion being mastered by other than the Lordship of Jesus? It may be something of great significance, work and and earning an income, but it may have gotten to a place of idolic worship in your life. It may be a hobby. It may be something of, of trinket value, of, of, of getting to the next level of a game or, or achieving some accolade. But if there is something in your life that you give greater attention to, greater worship to, greater admiration to than the service of the Lord, something that masters your life greater than the Lord of lords and the King of kings, dear friends, that is idol worship. And the call of Scripture is reject idol worship in your life. Reject idolatry and reject worldliness. Now, if, I, if there's a place where I might stir the pot, this is it right here. Here's my pastoral plea. In every area of your life, reject worldliness and pursue godliness. I feel like I'm just getting started in ministry, and other days I feel like It's been forever. In the last two decades of ministry, for me, I've watched the church become more and more comfortable with worldliness. How we spend our time, how we entertain ourselves, what what we celebrate, even the celebrities that we celebrate, what we honor, what we respect. And I would make two observations here to this end. 
Today, many Christian parents are more concerned with their child's grades than with their children's spiritual development. And I, and, and I point to the evidence of that in that you're more excited that they read a secular novel for AR points than if they read the Word of God. You're more concerned with school attendance than Sunday school attendance. You'll let Sunday school slide, but you got them there in the schoolhouse on Monday. But adults, I've noticed that many Christian adults honor employment more than they do church fellowship. It is a common thing for folks to say to me, Pastor, I was too sick, too tired, too overwhelmed to attend church on Sunday. But I observe in their life that it seems like every time Monday rolls around, they get better, they get more encouraged, and they show up. You're more concerned with career advancement and retirement savings than kingdom advancement and serving the King, the Lord. Have I stirred the pot yet? Friends, you were called to live lives wholly devoted to the Lord. That's it. Your first call, your first love is to live your life wholly devoted to the Lord. The Bible calls us to be living sacrifices for Jesus. You're called to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, you can do all three of those things without an advanced degree. You can do all three of those things without great retirement savings. You can do all three of those things in poverty. But you cannot be wholly devoted to the Lord and given to worldliness. You cannot be a living sacrifice for Jesus and be given to worldliness. You cannot take up your cross and follow Jesus and be given to worldliness. Dear Christian, do not be controlled by what the world loves and honors. Be controlled by Emmanuel, God with us. Be controlled by Jesus, Yahweh saves. Be controlled by the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Be controlled by the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is and it will, it was and is and will be, the one who reigns forever and ever and ever. Let him be the ruler and king of your life. Reject worldliness. Reject idolatry. And live for the Lord. It's attributed to John Bunyan to have said, "Prayer will entice a man away from uh, prayer will entice a man away from sin, and sin will entice a man away from prayer." Here's what I know. Stay with me. Here's what I know. The political climate in which we live is radically changing and it's changing rather quickly. And there are ominous signs that the days ahead for the church will be very challenging. But listen to me carefully. What is threatening the church today is not politics. The entertainment industry for decades now 
has been assaulting morality and pressing the boundaries of decency. In recent years, the entertainment industry has been using every tool at their disposal to advance a moral revolution that rejects biblical truth and celebrates outright unrestrained debauchery. But dear friends, listen to me very carefully. What is threatening the church today is not cultural and it's not the entertainment industry. You see, the church from its very beginning has existed in a hostile political climate. The Corinth church existed in a very hostile political climate. The church from its very beginning existed in the context of a culture that was unrestrained in its wickedness. The Corinth church lived in the the context of all kinds of gross perversion. Hear me carefully. The great threat to the church today is apathy toward the danger of sin and being distracted away from the Lordship of Jesus by the worthless trinkets of this world. We should worship more and vacation less. We should devote more time to ministry service and less times to hobbies. We should give more to the work of the kingdom and spend less on ourselves. We should study God's word more and play fewer games. We should be ruled by Jesus more and controlled less by the things of this world. Is it profitable? Does it have mastery over you? It may be lawful. But dear friends, we ought to pursue that which is profitable. And we ought to put away anything that draws you away from our kingdom.